Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Christy Ashwandan, the author of Good To Go, what the athlete in all of us can learn from the strange science of recovery. This is the second episode that I've recorded with Christy, and today's conversation is an essential conversation for the times we are in. During the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about following the science and listening to the experts. You know what I'm talking about. Well, as Christy puts it, science isn't an answer, but a process, a process that requires patience and critical examination. Let that sink in for a moment. Christy explains why the scientific process is a process of uncertainty reduction and why we should critically evaluate the scientific literature because of measurement problems and confounding variables. This is a thought-provoking episode that should give you pause and make you critically evaluate the sources of information that you and I make decisions upon. So now, let's lean in and learn from the best. Christy, why is science uncertain? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, I love this question. Um, Well, first of all, I'll answer the second question first, which is that I think it's neither good nor bad. I think it's just an inherent quality of science. I think that the public tends to have sort of this erroneous view of science as being a magic wand that turns everything it touches into truth. When in fact, I think the best way to think of science is that it's not an answer, it's a process. And it's a process of uncertainty elimination. And so you never get to the final, final answer. If you have a truly scientific mindset and if you're truly doing science, you always have to be open to new evidence and to, you know, you think you understand something, but some new evidence comes in or you test your theory or you look at something in a new scenario and you find, oh, wait, our theory isn't holding up here. Or in this scenario, things are a little bit different. And so what happens is you do a study to try and answer a question. Let's just take an example. Let's talk about one that I I actually start my book with, which is about beer and running and whether beer, drinking beer after a hard run is bad for your recovery. Okay. Okay. And so first of all, this, this sounds like a pretty simple question, doesn't it, Eric? I mean, does this sound like it's going to be really difficult to answer? No, I mean, I would just say, you know, I would think you probably wouldn't be taking in alcohol after a hard workout. Yeah. Okay. Well, the problem is so, okay, I want to know how does, how does beer affect recovery after a workout? Mm -hmm. Well, what do I, what am I talking about with recovery? Like, how am I going to measure it? And so the very first thing you sort of encounter is a measurement problem, whatever kind of science you're doing, you have to have, you know, some sort of metric that you're using in a way of figuring out the answer and like, what's going to be a sufficient answer to convince you one way or another. And what ends up happening is, so you, you set up a study and I won't go through, I have a whole chapter about this in the book, a real life study that we did to look at. And this is kind of looking at this more common scenario among, among you know, non-elite runners, but you go for a run with your friends afterwards, you go out for a beer and is, is that harming your recovery? That was kind of the question we were looking at. And I, I go through and explain what we found and, and what it tells us about science. 
But in any study like this that you're doing, you sort of set up a scenario and what you really come up with is an answer to that question under those specific circumstances on that day with those people and, and all of that. And you can have all of these things, they're called the scientific term for this is confounders, but there are all these things that, that can affect the outcome that you get. And if you have a very small study sample, which almost every study looking at sports and exercise is extremely small, which unfortunately means that these studies are sort of inherently unreliable because it's very difficult to generalize out from such specific circumstances. And so what can happen is you have these little factors that could have a large effect on the outcome that may not be visible to you at the time or if you're the researcher to see. So just as an example, let's say you're bringing people into the lab and you're having them do a hard run for a certain amount of time or a distance or the measure that we used in our study was something called a run to exhaustion, where you put someone on the treadmill, they're going at a pretty hard pace and you make them go until they can't go any longer. Well, you know, at some point that kind of becomes a psychological test of like how dedicated are they to the study? You know, maybe they're kind of have to go, they're, they're running low on time and it's getting later, you know, this is taking longer than they expected and there may be other incentives. And so if you have a small study, these sorts of effects can have a much larger impact than if you have thousands of people, then it kind of comes out a little bit more in the wash. And so what happens is, you know, you can only be certain to a particular degree about the results of a certain study based on, on all of these factors. And so if you have a, a question, I can answer this through science, but we need more than one study. You can never take a single study and mm -hmm. say, aha, now we know the answer. Instead, we're sort of uh, looking, you need to go and look at the question from a lot of different angles to see. And so you may find that, okay, it doesn't look like beer affects recovery too much, you know, as long as it's just, let's say you stop at one. Okay, but what if it was a really, really hard run? Maybe then things are different. Or maybe maybe there are circumstances where the next workout, maybe it doesn't matter for most things, but it matters in this one circumstance. Maybe if your next run is going to be in the heat, maybe that that has an effect. I'm just making this up. I don't know. Yeah. But what we tend to do is say, okay, we did a study and now we know, and here's the answer. And even very, very good studies that provide, you know, some degree of certainty with their answers, there's always room for, for more interrogation and, and more things to understand. And so I think we need to be very careful about drawing conclusions too quickly. And this doesn't mean, though, that you can't ever know anything. But what it means is that you need to just do multiple studies and look at the evidence in its totality, but also understand and recognize that, you know, we may think one thing and then some new research comes out and shows us that we've missed something. And so we need to change our beliefs and change what we think about this. And I'll give That's you an example. Hard. Yeah, there, there's a good example of this, I think, that I like to point to with nutrition and recovery science. And that is there used to be the, the notion that there is this thing called the recovery window. You've probably heard of this. Yeah. So this is this, this idea magical that, window post exercise. Yeah. And it's like carbohydrate and protein and everything. Right. And it's like it's this magical time. And if you don't eat the right a proportion of carbs and protein during this, you know, 20, 30, 40 minute window, you know, it always changed too. But anyway, there was this magical window. If you didn't get that nutrition in, you're really screwed. You're you wasted the entire workout. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Well, it turns out that, you know, the, 
where this idea came from is the initial studies, you know, it was just a relic of how the first studies were done. I think they were like comparing the control group didn't get any nutrition. And so they were looking at different timing effects. And so they thought it was the timing, but in fact, it was just the nutrition to start with. So like, if you compare someone who had some nutrition to someone who didn't, like, of course, you know, energy helps you train harder. But anyway, but as more studies were done, you know, this is how science works. So it was interesting. So people did more studies, they did more follow-up. And it turns out that it's not this little window. It's more like a barn door you have all day. Like there are circumstances, you know, if you're, let's say you're doing a track meet where you have prelims and you're going to be doing something really hard and then you have to perform again in short order, then that's a scenario where you probably do want to eat something, replenish you know, some of your energy, but in most cases you can just wait till the next meal. You know, this idea that you Mm -hmm. need to down a protein shake right after that workout or all is lost is just, it's bunk, but that was something that we needed more research to overturn. And it's kind of looking like, well, okay, let's look at this circumstance. So we did this one study. It sort of suggests that timing is important. Well, let's keep playing around with timing. Well, when you do that, you find that it's not the timing that's important here. It's the actual, you know, the protein itself and the carbs themselves. And you know, it actually turns out it's better to have protein intake over the course of the day rather than in one bulk bolus, you know, giant protein shake, which is not, you know, the other thing that's really interesting, I was just interviewing um, this uh, very well-known sports nutritionist recently, and she was telling me the story about how the Australian Institute of Sport at one point had created this for all of their athletes. They had this recovery room thing where they had all these recovery snacks that they wanted to have at the ready for people. And what ended up happening is some of the athletes just started gaining weight because they were just after their workout, they're grabbing these snacks and thinking, oh, I got to do this recovery snack. And it was just like adding calories to their, their overall calorie budget, which they didn't need. And these were like athletes that, where this was a concern whatever. But so it's, it's just sort of, we get so focused on these ideas that this one thing matters that you lose the big picture, which is like, okay, if I'm eating this recovery product, cause I need to get my recovery window, is that actually impacting my overall nutrition, which may actually have a larger impact in my overall performance, right? If I'm not getting the correct nutrition. Absolutely. I'm, I think this is such a wonderful point to make and that we need to see repeated studies. You know, we, we do a lot of things with animals and there's a reason for that because mm-hmm. you can control everything, right? They're the perfect yeah. subjects. You can put a mouse in a cage and let's make it fast for 14 hours Yeah. or let's make it do this for this period of time and you can control everything. And so these confounders that you're talking about are controlled for. Yeah. Well, we're human beings that are experiencing the world. Our life cycles are very different. There's a lot of other things that are coming in. Yeah. And so seeing one study come out, oh, that's a strong indicator. I would like to see a few more doing the same things with more folks and more, you know, maybe controlled and less controlled environments. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, as you're talking about this, I think the book that really kind of are this we talk about all this nutrient timing. I think it was that yeah. group at a university of Texas. Am I correct? That was yeah. doing the studies on nutrient timing. I remember reading this in the two thousands, like, Oh geez, I need to, I need to eat this before and after yeah. and then two hours <laughs> after that. And then three hours after that. And mm-hmm. now we're like, you know what? It's just kind of like, if you eat twice a day and you get enough, yeah. you know, you're, you caloric, like, yeah, this is the, you know, predictably you can kind of see these things. Yeah. There's no magic diet. You want to lose weight kind of showing like intermittent fasting versus a, uh, hypocaloric diet, you start seeing, you just start stacking these up, but you're like, if you just looked at this one in a timeline, you'd be like, it's just not wise. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of 
products that are marketed based on, oh, there's a study showing this or that. And a lot of these, and they're all little, but the little studies are done by the manufacturer and and they're sort of trying to study this thing. And it's like, okay, so, you know, we had our supplement and people took it. And then this, you know, we, we tested 12 different factors and we found that one of them was different. And then you have to ask, well, it does that actually matter? Just because you could measure a difference, is that actually meaningful in the world? And is that something that we care about? And it's really easy to use. And social it, media makes it worse. Oh yeah. And what I found, I guess it should not have been surprising. It was maybe a little shocking the extent to which it was happening though, while I was researching my book was just how many companies in the recovery space are using science and using studies as a way of promoting products. So rather than saying, okay, I have this research question. I want to set up a study to answer it in the best way possible. They're saying, I have this product that I know works. So I need to do a study to show it. And like, let's, let's Mm -hmm. figure out and let's just keep doing these things till we find something that we can blow out. And so like, if I tell you that we did three studies that measured 20 different things, we had to do it three times. And then we found, you know, a measure on one of them that we could call significantly different and significantly in a statistical sense, right? Like you might feel differently than if, if you just saw, oh, there was a study and they looked at this one thing and it was, it was huge. Well, you know, and then you have to ask, is that thing they measured actually meaningful and very often the answer is no. Okay. So without turning into a total critic (laughs) of all science, if I'm listening to this, what would be your take home point for people? And I know you are going to be expanding on this further in the future. And I'm excited for you to make that announcement down the line, but the lay person that may be listening to this or the coach or practitioner, like what's your recommendation? Yeah, I think my recommendation, there's a couple of things. One is to take new ideas with a grain of salt. Look, science is the most powerful way we have of understanding the world. I, I don't feel at all that science is unreliable but it's a slow process and it's it's a process of uncertainty reduction. And I think so often we don't recognize that yes, we have a study here that reduced a little uncertainty, but there's a lot that remains. And so we're, we're sort of jumping ahead. And I think particularly with athletes and in the, the sports sense, so often there's incentive for people to always be chasing the newest thing. And what ends up happening is so, you know, for everything that ends up being an actual thing that works. So the thing that comes to mind for me here is the, the new running shoes that actually do seem to have performance benefit. You know, it took a little the while. Nike to ones, the Nike yeah, ones, the hyper, hyper wire or something yep, like that. Exactly. Yeah. And those really do seem to have a performance effect. But for every product like that, there are 50 others that are nutrient timing again. It's like, oh, yeah, it looks you know, really hypey. We have these initial exciting results. Now we're studying it some more. Oh, wait you kind of get this deflation. It's not because the initial thing was completely wrong. It's just that maybe the circumstance wasn't so applicable. Maybe Mm -hmm. it was a small study. So it was a little bit of a fluke of the small study rather than a real effect. That's another thing that often happens. The placebo effect is real. Oh, the placebo effect is huge in sports. It really is. In fact, they've even shown that with some of the doping stuff, I mean, doping is obviously not a placebo, but you can, you know, if you give athletes what they think is dope, their performance will go up without the dope itself. You know, maybe not to the extent that it would if they were actually getting, you know, hormones or whatever, but it really, you know, there is a very large psychological. This magical power is powder is going to make you hype through your mind and you're able to 
bench press 20 pounds yeah. over. So says such paper, then they go out there. Right. So I would just suggest that athletes could really exploit this by just creating this expectation that if they just master the basics, that's sort of their superpower. Like mm. let your competition fixate on all these new things that, that are going to end up to probably not pan out. Like while they're busy wasting time and energy and emotional capital to go chase these things that are going to end up probably to be an illusion, you can just sit back on the stuff that we know really works and the stuff that most people aren't getting right. You know, master those basics and you can forget about this other stuff because chances are, even if they are effective, the effects of them will be so small compared to the fundamentals like sleep and proper nutrition, stress reduction. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is a phenomenal conversation. Oh, my pleasure, Eric. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you want to support our show, please leave us a comment and review in the Apple Podcast app. This is one of the best ways that you can help us reach more people with the message of the Blueprint. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.